Welcome to Practically Christian. I'm Janelle and I'm here with my husband Luke. Hi guys. And our friend Jake. Hey. We share conversations that help you know Jesus more deeply and follow him more faithfully. The truth is, no one has arrived at Christ-likeness. To grow in that direction, we believe you need authentic relationships and biblical theology applied to your everyday life. We hope that you're encouraged to grow and live out the biblical truths that we will discuss on this episode. So let's get practical and dive into a conversation about the habits of Jesus, or as many people refer to them, spiritual disciplines. So let's recap a little bit. We've talked about in the series, Discovering True Discipleship, how number one, when we look at Jesus, we are not looking at simply who God is like. We're actually seeing also how humanity is supposed to live. He's revealing both of those things to us. Then number two, in the last episode, we looked at what is discipleship, and we discovered that discipleship is all about becoming like our master. So the heart of discipleship is learning from your master in order to become like your master. So we're seeking to learn from Jesus in order to become like him. Now, the practical import of that is that a lot of Christians spend a lot of time focusing on Jesus' explicit teachings, like the words he says. But I think we've actually underplayed learning from his life example and the rhythms of his life. And that's what gets us to this topic of spiritual disciplines. So I want to share a quote I really like from N.T. Wright's book, After You Believe. Here's what he writes. Virtue, in the strict sense, is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically, as we say. So here's what N.T. Wright's getting at, is that there's different kind of ethical systems out there. A lot of them come down to one form or another of, here are the rules, you should follow them. But what I appreciate about this emphasis on a Christian virtue ethics is the heart behind it basically says, God's goal is not just to get you to follow the rules, period. God's goal is to help you become the kind of person who wants to do what is right, who wants to do the good thing. And so virtue ethics and what N.T. Wright focuses on and many others are getting at is that these spiritual disciplines are aimed at training our hearts and our desires so that over time we become the kind of people who want to live Jesus' way of life. I think this dovetails with a lot of emphasis these days on habit formation. Um, and this is just even in self-help literature. You hear a lot about just make your habits such that your life is healthy. And instead of having that kind of exhaustion and decision fatigue of make a healthy choice every time you look in the fridge, make healthy choices in the environment, make, in a, make a habit loop of healthy choices. And then it's not a difficult push every single time. Absolutely. And actually habit formation is very linked with this whole idea of spiritual disciplines and why they're important. And even I think a lot of that literature you're talking about really can help you actually incorporate spiritual disciplines into your life, even though that's not what it's about. Um, I think it's really practical on that level. So all of this gets us to the idea of learning something through rote or practice or rough memorization until it becomes automatic. So you guys, what's something you learned 
or how to learn through just kind of over and over practice? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me was my exchange year. When I was in high school as a junior, I went to France for an academic year as an exchange student. I was immersed. I spoke French at home because I was living with host families. I spoke French at school. Um, and at first, French for me was a very kind of belabored activity. One day I was standing at the bus stop with a classmate and we were having a conversation and I was trying to remember a word or how to conjugate a verb. And I was looking up at the top of the buildings kind of in my brain space, trying to figure out how to say what I wanted to say. And she said, I just remember clearly, she said in French, oh, isn't she so cute? She's looking up trying to think of how to speak or whatever. And I just thought it was so funny because my comprehension was good at that point, but I just couldn't verbally um, process as quickly as I would, would have liked. Um, but just the language learning process, you know, it's a lot of trying to remember how to conjugate things, remember specific vocabulary or speak around the words that you don't know until you can get your point across, um, until um, your vocabulary and your language skills get to the point where um, it's just kind of natural to you and you're just talking and you're even dreaming in that what was once a foreign language to you just becomes your, um, I wouldn't say I ever got to the native tongue place, but <laughs> I would say I got to a, a fairly fluent um, place by the time I was done with my year there. Um, but just that process of beginning with this kind of belabored language skills um, and then getting to the point where it was just smooth and easy. And by the end, you probably didn't have to think about conjugating verbs at all or any of that. It just You're just speaking. Yeah, I would say now um, it's been quite a number of years and I'm rusty in all my skills again but um but yeah I would definitely say that by the end it was it was just as easy in fact my parents came to visit me in France and it was hard for me to speak speak to them in English um because French was just more natural and I also remember French people trying to speak to me in English and it was like so much harder to understand their accent in English than it was for them just to speak to me in French, and I would get kind of frustrated if they tried to talk to me in English because it was really hard to understand. Oh, that's hilarious. What about you, Jake? What's something you had to learn that was really hard to learn, took a lot of practice, but then over time became more or less automatic? Yeah, I think the, the one that's most obvious for me is learning the guitar. Mm. And I'm not, like, amazing at the guitar, but, like, the, the learning process of... You learn the chords, like where to place your fingers. You learn how to strum, and there are like two different like things going on. And then also like while you're learning, your fingers start hurting because they start like getting like getting pain from you pushing on the strings the whole time, and you have to like build up calluses. Um, but like like putting in a lot of effort into like both of those things and kind of getting at it. Like now I can just kind of like learn a song in you know 15 minutes. You know it's just like okay, cool, I got it because now I have, like, all the building blocks. Um, but the first, like, year of practice was never, now I have it. It was always, you know, I okay, I put my fingers here, my fingers here, my fingers here, kind of, like, very intentional, where then it kind of became more natural as I went on. Yeah. No, those are both great illustrations of, you know, working on something with effort and it becoming automatic. So if NT right is correct, then... Adopting the character of Christ is something like that. So how do you guys think 
in what ways is following Jesus like learning a language or learning guitar? And maybe what ways is it not? I think the the one that, that strikes me from Janelle's story is how like you can comprehend what you should do, hmm. but it's really hard to comp like to do it on a consistent basis. We're like you know, you can know how to conjugate verbs and you can know when someone says something, like you know what they're saying. But then when you want to say your own thing, you're like, okay, now I have to think, how do I conjugate this? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of like goes with the, the Christian walk of like, you can know what you're supposed to do, but then once you like actually try to do it, it kind of like, it, it takes a lot more intentional effort mm-hmm. to get it done. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry for stealing your... Yeah, no, I love it. I think I think the immersion experience is actually something to, um, to consider as well. Um, and I think the same could be said of guitar and just hours of practice, um, that it's not um, just the knowledge base that you have, it's the hours of practice that you put into actually building that skill to get it to the point where it does feel like it's coming naturally to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the the other one from guitar is the pain aspect. (laughs) Is like, it can be really painful to walk the Christian life. It can be really painful to be a disciple of Christ where you have these things that you enjoy or that you even like put like, you know, this is who I am in some ways. And as you find out that those things are less healthy or not good for you, it can be really painful to switch to something else Mm -hmm. um, where you're like, wow, I wish I could be doing this thing instead but I know that's bad for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me, <clears throat> I have someone I was talking to once and they had kind of fallen away from church. And when we, Janelle and I were actually talking to this person about what's, what's the heart behind that, what happened? And they basically said something like, you know, if Christianity is supposed to be this love relationship with God, I just don't feel the need to go to church and I feel like it would be hypocritical to force myself to do that and like I should just have the desire to do it and if I don't it would be hypocritical to you know to like go through these religious motions and things like that with this analogy of learning a language or playing an instrument I'll bring up the fact that like I don't know like our our loves and our desires can be habituated I want to say or like it takes it takes actually time to learn the Jesus way of life and just because something doesn't sound enjoyable in the moment doesn't mean you shouldn't do it or that or even that it would be hypocritical to do it even if you don't feel like it I don't know like at the end of a long day I might not feel like giving you a hug or a kiss or paying attention to you and listening to you well Jill Luke's talking to Jake just kidding (laughs) (laughs) but um but that doesn't mean like it's that doesn't make it hypocritical when I do those things it actually in some ways makes it more loving if in the moment I don't feel like doing it but I know it's a loving thing and I choose to do it I don't know yeah I think the word authentic is thrown around a lot and it's actually even in our opener um but it can be misused I want to say um where people mean it as just do what you feel and I don't think that's a rule of life and honestly if you think about anything in your life that requires any ounce of discipline that's not how it works. <laughs> if you said, if you had a physical trainer at the gym tell you, do whatever you feel like doing, um, <laughs> they would not be considered a good physical trainer for you. And, and yet they're, they're there to help you be 
healthier and to, to work out well and to use your muscles the correct way. Um, but do whatever you feel like is um, not our definition of authentic. I think it kind of comes down to where it's really easy to do things that are like absorbing things. It's really easy to be like to be on the lazy side, like and you know, a, a, a day after a hard day, you're like, I'm just gonna watch TV. It's really easy to just be like not a participant, but just to to watch things. But when you're in the future, like if or like right now, you, if you look back at the past, you're never gonna remember. Like, remember that day when I just watched things. <laughs> you're gonna be thinking, remember that day when I, you know, when I practiced guitar, when I learned this thing, or when I did this thing for the first time, where I achieved something. And so it's like, if I'm not interested in doing something right now, that's okay. I'm working towards something that I'm going to be proud of in the future. That's good. So today we're talking about the spiritual disciplines, and and I want to reframe that as practicing the habits of Jesus. And I want us to think about this in a way of, like, this is like, learning the chords with your fingers or learning how to strum and practicing like that's the kind of box i think we should put the spiritual disciplines in and it and it raises some ways i think a lot of christians get the spiritual disciplines wrong i mean one is you just hear the word discipline and most of us don't like that word at all and there's even some confusion confusion about it there's some uh, christians or christian traditions and you start talking about spiritual disciplines they're like hey like christianity is about grace like, it's not on your side of the equation. It's all just about receiving this gift. End of story. Like, why are you talking about these things you have to do? But Dallas Willard has this great quote that I think responds to that. He says, that grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. In other words, we do not do spiritual disciplines to earn favor from God. Quite the opposite. We do spiritual disciplines only because we have already received God's grace. And there's nothing to earn, but there is something to grow into. We're supposed to work to grow into our identity in Christ that's already been gifted to us. It makes me think of our children and their toys. Um, They have lots of toys, and they're given freely. We love our kids. They have these wonderful items that they get to play with. Um, and they don't have to earn the right to be loved by us or to, they don't have to put their toys away to get a hug from me. Um, but at the same time, the best use of their toys is to treat their toys with respect. The best use of their, um, their room, for instance, is to make it not a tripping hazard everywhere, um, so that they can actually enjoy their stuff more. And I think if they had a completely mature mentality, which maybe someday they will have, (laughs) they'll take care of their own stuff because they care. And it's not because they're trying to earn love from mom or, um, earn approval even it's, it's because it's the, it's the right thing, the best thing, um, the thing that makes them most fulfilled. So spiritual disciplines have two goals and one of them we already talked about and really worked through together already, which is kind of the idea of training right? Like these are actually all things that you can see in Jesus's life that if we do them, the idea is that over time they shape us and they help us to become a more Jesus-like person. So that's the first goal. Uh, The second goal is these are actually all different ways of being with God. So go back to last episode. What What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be with Jesus and to seek to become like him. And spiritual disciplines help us accomplish both those goals. They are always of connecting with God so we can be with Jesus. 
and then working on our heart and our character to form us as people to become like him. So in this episode, uh, we want to just give a 30,000 foot overview of the spiritual disciplines. We're not going to go into much depth about any of them. Maybe we might do that in a future series. Um, But we wanted to go through them just so you can be thinking about all these and again, reframe them as these are the habits of Jesus, the habits we as his followers should adopt because these are the ones that he taught and modeled for us. We've identified five sets of reciprocal, like teeter-totter kind of disciplines that have two sides that do similar things or like and help each other um, and work in relation to each other really well. So our five are um, prayer and action, this idea of uh, a solitude and community. And these kind of go together of being able to go away in your private time and pray and connect with God and connect with who God wants you to be and then being able to act in the community and being able to teach or help or serve in different ways but that they're kind of in this balance of if you're not taking your prayer and solitude time seriously it'll reflect itself in your action and how you act in your community um, Matthew eleven sixteen. Uh, says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And this kind of goes with um, this idea of fasting and feasting, of where Jesus has, uh, is showing us that there's times for less and times for um, withdrawing from what we want and what we need, and then there's times to like party and celebrate. There is uh, time for the excitement um, of like the day and of the actions that we're taking, but also time for withdrawing from those things to focus on what's truly important. Um, Jesus, when he teaches the crowds and this idea of Bible meditation, of being able to meditate on what's important to us, to be able to think about what we want and what God wants for us and what we should be doing, and then to be able to instruct others in that um, and to be able to explain the ideas that we've been thinking about and, uh, and meditating about. And this idea of meditation and instruction kind of works with the analogy that some people may have heard of, of like a cup being filled with water and that we're the cup and God is pouring water into us and we're accepting that water. And then when the cup starts overflowing, that's where our instruction is. We're teaching from what God gives us and what God is instructing us in through our meditation on his word. Finally, um, the idea of rest and work. And this is shown in Mark 6, 31 through 33. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And this, even though it kind of shows not a successful journey <laughs> in, their, in their aim for rest uh, 100%, but it's this idea of we, we rest so that we can be prepared to work. Mm-hmm. And if we do all work and no rest, we won't work well. And if we do all rest and no work, then we'll be slothful people who don't get anything done. (laughs) 
Well, I think those are cool verses in that too. Like they show Jesus's heart for his disciples and care for him. He's like, you guys need rest and intends to bring them rest. But then when the crowds follow them, he takes pity on them and has compassion for them and acts out of that. And it gets a, a little bit of the tension of spiritual disciplines too. Like you can have the right intentions and set your alarm early. And sometimes like this never happens in our house, but a kid wakes up early or uh, gets up. And sometimes the right thing in that moment is like, hey, go back to bed. It's not time to wake up. And sometimes the right thing in that moment is to spend a moment with them and like let the needs of the world draw you out of like, Again, like this isn't like this self-help, self-actualization thing, right? This is about becoming more like Jesus adopting his character. And Jesus was very interruptible. Mm-hmm. Can you recap those for us? Yeah. So, uh, the, and we want you to think about these as kind of like a teeter-totter where they're in balance, where we need to focus on both a kind of, not at the same time necessarily, but kind of back and forth to make sure that we're full on both sides. Mm-hmm. We have prayer and action, solitude and community, fasting and feasting, meditation and instruction, and rest and work. If this topic has kind of struck a chord as something that you need to delve into a little bit deeper, we have some suggested resources for you guys to look into. Um, The first is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. The second is a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe. And the third is a Christian classic, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. So um, here's our discussion question and one for you listeners to think about as well and possibly discuss with a friend. Which one of these disciplines are you missing out on or which one of these pairings is most out of balance in your life? So one more time, they are prayer and action, solitude and community, fasting and feasting, meditation and instruction, and rest and work. For me, probably the weakest is solitude. I, by nature and personality, am not someone who seeks out alone time. I like to always be with people all the time, um, especially my comfort people who are closest to me. Um, So I think that this is one that I definitely lean really heavy on the community side and not so much on the solitude side. Um, and I, I think I make excuses for myself in various ways, um, but I think that there is a version of solitude that does jive with my personality, if you would say that, because God created us for both and he created me. So I'm created for both. I think for me, I'm most out of balance in the prayer and action one. And that I pray like all day long. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I I just tend to like make my to do list and get at it. And Enneagram three. That's <laughs> true. And I just like yeah. And I do pray, but I feel like a lot of the time it's like a God, please bless my work type prayer, and not a just sitting with God and being with Him and the more the reflection. So that's where I'm definitely most out of whack. The one that's probably the most unbalanced for me is the rest and work. And I think it's out of balance in like two different ways. Uh, One in that I think I probably rest too much. 
but also that the time that I use to rest is probably unfruitful rest for the most part, and so it doesn't actually empower me for the work. So I think I kind of need to work on resting in the right amount, but also resting in the right way so that I can work better. Mm-hmm. Refreshing rest. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of activities people think are restful but are really entertainment, and those are two different categories of things that I think we don't often separate. So, Jake, what would be more true rest for you? That's a great question, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be more restful for me would be to get into reading books that are not like not for school and not for like a particular purpose. Being able to like read books that are more, uh, what is the word, Uh, fiction books and being able to like engage with some of that instead of being engaged with uh, like YouTube videos, <laughs> um, or being engaged with like nonfiction, not for school books that are like halfway in between rest and work books. James Clear in that book we referenced called Atomic Habits gives this really good illustration analogy of why habits are so important and how they can influence our identity. And he gives this analogy of how every time you do a certain action, it's like casting a vote for the kind of person you are and how you view yourself. So going back to our opening story about the different things you guys have learned through practice, like Jake, you probably would say, I am a musician. And Janelle, you could say, I am a French speaker. But it's an interesting question to consider. When did you become a French speaker? When did you become a musician? Like, what was that moment? And it's probably hard to pinpoint because the truth is, it's like you cast a bunch of votes for being that person through working on learning French and practicing speaking French over that year. And at some point in that journey, like, you switch from I'm a person learning French to I'm a French speaker. And I think the idea is that we are supposed to engage in these practices, these spiritual disciplines, to the point where they form our identity. And we, like, I am like Jesus, or I am becoming like Jesus. I'm a little Jesus. Um, So with that in mind, the other half of the discussion question is, if you wanted to work on that area that you're not doing great in now, um, what is, like, how could you make this habitual part of your everyday rhythm of life or maybe weekly rhythms? I think one that I could do would be like my roommate that I just uh, moved in with. His name's Tyler. And at 8 o'clock every night, he turns off all technology and his phone will no longer do anything but an alarm and his computer like won't do anything. And so he like sets up his life where he has this rest period because he doesn't go to bed until, you know, 10, 10 But he has this period where he's either engaging with other people in conversation or reading or some of these other activities that are more restful each day. Intentionally always unplugged at that time. Yeah. That's cool. So you want to do the same thing? I think that that would be a really helpful thing for me to try Mm -hmm. and see if that would be more restful for me and kind of, I don't know, in some ways force me into that rest. Maybe I'll just get more sleep. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, I need to carve out a piece of my time that I 
I basically really treasure my time when my kids are occupied. So they have a few different times during the day when they are not um, kind of up in my face and need my assistance. So that would be nap times in the afternoon slash quiet play time and um, video time in the morning. So um, I usually take those moments captive for my house cleaning purposes <laughs> instead of, um, but I think I could definitely carve out a piece of one of those times of the day. Um, or if I was really motivated, I'd get up early, but I don't know if God wants me to hang out with him when I'm getting up early because I'm not a morning person. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that would be for me, carve out like a regular time of the day where this means I have a little bit of uh, solitude time. For me, uh, with prayer, I was challenged recently how the early Christians definitely were praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, the Lord's Prayer, three times a day. That was just the the first century Jewish practice of prayer, to pray three times a day. Um, and so I've been considering that challenge to just adopt that practice, and I think I should just make that commitment. Maybe Janelle can hold me accountable. <laughs> um but just to pause, like it doesn't need to be like 20 minutes in prayer three times a day. Like it can be a, but I think that practice of pausing and reflecting and coming before God honestly and openly um, would be really good for me. Well, on that note, would you send us out with the Lord's Prayer? That sounds great. Um, but instead of doing the traditional one, I'm going to lead us in the one that I use because the one most of us have learned is very shaped by the King James Version, which is actually old English and not the way we talk. All right, let's pray. Our dad in heaven, make your name holy. Bring your kingdom. Do your will on earth as it is in heaven. Give us what we need for today. Forgive us our wrongs as we forgive those who have wronged us. Don't lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.